This episode of the Hard Parking Podcast is sponsored to you by Talk Mobile. Talk Mobile is an innovator in retail and works with organizations like T-Mobile to operate stores throughout Arizona, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Louisiana. For more information and to jumpstart your career, please visit talkmobile.net. Again, that's talkmobile.net, our title sponsor. This is the Hard Parking Podcast. I am your host, Jay Finning. This episode, I'm running solo. I have no co-host. That's right. That means you're stuck with my constant babbling about absolutely nothing. But here's the good news. This is SEMA week, which means this episode, I'll be talking about my trip to SEMA two years ago, and I will be covering SEMA this year, although I'm not there. But the good news is I will have some guest correspondents. I will be interviewing them separately and adding them to this pod. So we have some big names in store. Uh, some exciting things going on, but uh, first, let me just talk about stupid shit. As a lot of you know, and some of you don't, well, first off, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, it's clearly called the Hard Parking Podcast. It's automotive car culture. However, it's a podcast that's basically about cars, but we don't really talk about cars. So as some of you know, in my real job, I do healthcare IT, and what that means is, let me tell you what that means. So I travel back and forth pretty much every week of the year when I have a job. So the joke is I tell the car people in Phoenix, hey, if you see me during the middle of the week, chances are I don't have a job. Sometimes I have a gig to where I get to travel every other week, but currently I'm working in Palm Springs and I travel every week. So when I was in New Jersey, I would fly four and a half hours on the flight from Phoenix to New Jersey. And then it'd always be like five hours on the way back. And you rack up a lot of miles. But the thing is, everybody you fly with, usually, if you see the same people on the flight, they do basically the same thing in some capacity. Even if they're not healthcare IT, they do some sort of travel job, some sort of a consultant job where they're on the road all the time. So what happens is we all accrue miles at the same time. And you start getting status. Status is good. I get to accrue miles and they get to use miles for car trips. And so there's a pro. The con is you're stuck on the plane. You don't get that time back. So what happens is, as you gain your status, you start checking the upgrade list. Can I get upgraded to first class this week? It'll be really nice and cushy to get upgraded first class. Because with first class, on the long flights over three hours, they give you food. Not always great food, but it's still food. And they just keep it coming. They just give you as many drinks as you want. So a lot of people say, well, I like flying first class because the drinks are free. The food is free. Well, it's not really free because the tickets are expensive. And that's how you got to break it down. You have to say, okay, so I got this free Woodford Reserve. Is this Woodford Reserve worth the price that I'm paying for this plane ticket? Absolutely not. So that's the perspective you have to have. So what happens is you get on this flight and you start checking the upgrade list before you get on. And when I was flying to New Jersey, I would get upgraded every once in a while. It felt great. But when I started working in Dallas, Dallas is only a two-hour flight from Sky Harbor. So Dallas is the hub. I fly American Airlines. And you don't want to be flying from hub to hub. You don't want to be flying from hub to headquarters. Because no matter what status you have, unless they've given you the concierge key member status, you're going to be like number 20 on the upgrade list. And let's face it, and if you're out of the top four on the upgrade list, a lot of shit has to go wrong for you to get upgraded to first class. So they're almost like fucking with you when they dangle your name on that list at 13, 14, 15, I think one time I looked up and I was like number 26 on the upgrade list. Why show me the fucking list? You're sitting 8 to 
12 people max in first class, typically on a normal size aircraft. That means that first class has to drop off two, sometimes three times over for me to even get a shot. Show us the top four. Don't give anybody else false hope. Fuck it. So anyway, I'm working in Palm Springs. It's a 45-minute flight. I get upgraded all the time now. Like 80% of the time, I'm getting upgraded to first class. So that sounds great, right? Sure. 45-minute flight, which means it's time for one drink, maybe two. The planes are really small. You have to check your bag every time at the gate. That means when you want a drink, it's at a premium. That's enough time to get a couple drinks in. So what happens is you board, you sit down, and they go, would you like me to get you something to drink? And you're looking at your clock, and you're like, your watch. I don't wear a watch. Looking at my iPhone, and oh, we take off in 20 minutes. That's plenty of time for a drink. Sure, I'll take that drink. If you don't take the drink and you wait till you get into the sky, you have time for one drink. The other day, I'm sitting there chilling with my upgrade and I have one drink. The flight attendant comes from the back and he's up there shooting the shit with the flight attendant that's working first class. I'm just watching him. He's grabbing all these snacks and this motherfucker is just crushing snack after snack after snack. And I'm looking at him like, damn, dude. If you stop talking to him, then maybe you can bring me some fucking crackers up in this bitch. He, and he, he reminded me of Chris Farley on Billy Madison when he was freaking smashing all those kids' snacks on the bus when they went on the field trip where the kid peed on himself. And then the old lady said, if peeing on yourself is cool, call me Miles, da- Miles Davis. Anyway, so the stuff that I do, we'll talk about cars later. So just fucking calm your shit. So the type of work that I do that allows me to go on the car trips because I get to save my hotel points and my air miles points. You see me on Instagram if you follow me at NA2NSX. And what you'll find is that the posts on my page are usually always my car. However, when I post to my story, it's just me. So you'll see food. You'll see me living la vida loca. You'll see me drinking. I do this fun thing. And I appreciate you, those of you who actually participate. I do this fun thing where I'm like, guess what I'm drinking? Because I like to drink scotch. I like to drink. Whiskey. Well, it's all whiskey. I like to drink scotch. I like to drink bourbon. Anyway, so what I do is it looks like a lot of fun. Sometimes it's the loneliest job in the world. And I say that because as I'm sitting here in this hotel right now, it's just me. And so I go out and eat. I had a wonderful dinner, but I like companionship. I like friendship. And with this gig specifically, I don't really know anybody. I have. A few coworkers on my team that are what we call full-time employees. So they have families that live in the area. They get compensated well, but they don't get a food stipend. So it's really difficult for me to say, hey, you want to go get something to eat after work? Hey, let's go get something to drink at happy hour. Because you can easily say for me, that's a rebate. For them, they're coming out of pocket. It's not really free for me. I go over my expenses all the time anyway. But you know, who am I to make that decision for them? But I just feel like it's, I have to be conscious that, hey, these people, don't get it like I get it sometimes, which means, which makes it a lot more beneficial when I have coworkers who do what I do. So sometimes on my team, I'll be lucky and there'll be two, three or four of us. And at least one of us, by us, I mean contractors, you know, all I need is one other person to be really cool. And then we can go out and have happy hour. We can go have lunch together, whatever. There's a lot of people like me that do what I do, but don't work on the same teams. Unless the firm that I'm working for at the time, which is the people who pay me, to work at the hospital, you know, some of the larger firms, they'll come out every quarter and they'll have a representative that'll take all their employees 
through dinner. And that's when you get to meet people on other teams that work for the same company. Then you start networking and you build a little squad. I don't have a squad here. I had a squad in New Jersey, had a squad in Dallas, and we would do things, you know, once a month. So unless I have something to keep me busy, there's times where it's like, okay, I'm getting 60 bucks for food a day. I don't feel like going out tonight. And then I just give, I throw the talent. Maybe I go to McDonald's, believe it or not. Or maybe like tonight I went out and had a nice, you know, seafood dinner and had a glass of wine and now I'm sitting in the hotel, you know? So it's not all glitz and glam. Sometimes it sucks to be on the road, but you trade that with some of the benefit of, you know, a rack up hotel points and rack up air miles so that I can do things like go to Monterey car week and minimize my out-of-pocket expense. Because some of those events, you know, Pikes Peak Hill Climb, some of those, most of those events I'm able to do because I've saved up hotel points and I've saved up air miles. And the thing is, believe it or not, I really don't talk about my cars at work. Like right now, nobody that I work with knows anything about me unless they've Googled me. Uh, They know I have a family. They know I have a dog. They know I have a grandson. So half of you are just learning about having a grandson right now. Because I, I typically separate hobby from personal. And so they either know one thing or the other. I don't like talking about cars at work unless people are into cars because I feel like no one gives a fuck what you're really into. They just want to know what you like to do just because they're nosy. And what's funny is this is the first job I've had where I can sit in the car with my coworkers and they'll start talking about, oh, I like this car. I like that car. You know, one of my coworkers, husbands, I guess, is into cars and they've gone to SEMA because she dropped the S word once. And I was kind of looking at her like, oh, shit, she knows about SEMA. But I've never once said, oh, hey, I'd have a, I drive a turbo NSX and I have a little replica car based off of my car that you can buy off of eBay. And I'm co-own and operate the one auto movement, automotive car culture. And I have a podcast and blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. Sometimes I feel tempted, but nobody fucking cares. And then when people do get win, they go, oh, you like cars? You into cars? I go, yeah, yeah, I like cars. Oh, really? Well, what, do you have a car? I said, yeah, I just drive an old 97 Acura. And usually they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. You know, it stops there. So I don't know if they expect me to say I have a 56 T-Bird or 57 T-Bird or if I say they're waiting for me to say, oh, yeah, I have a Dodge Demon. But I usually just throw that nugget out there. I just drive an old 97 Acura. And if they perk up and start asking more questions, then I'm like, yeah, it's uh, NSX. And we just go from there. Every once in a while, you get that old lady in the office who tells you about her husband or her father or whatever who does car shows. And they do all this stuff with the American classics, which is not exactly something that I can identify with to a certain extent, but you know, I can roll with it. But if I tell them, yeah, I drive a 97 Acura NSX. Oh, that's, that's really neat. And then they're out of content. So I just don't say anything at all. Can we talk about what I'm obsessing about? I always obsess about a bunch of different shit. And right now what I'm obsessing about is this podcast and the quest for better hardware. Let me tell you a little something about me because most of you have zero idea, but I used to mix music all the time. We're talking from 1999 into, I don't know, just as recent as a couple years ago, but I did it as a hobby. So there's times where I was invited to come on and DJ at clubs. I was invited to come on to a local radio show. I mean, yeah, a local radio program when I was living in Grand Rapids, Michigan to be kind of like the the guest nightly DJ. But I just kind of kept it closer to the vest and just did it as hobby. Had a SoundCloud page for the long time. I still have one, but now it's a limited page. So a lot of the music I, is, is gone as far as 
uh, not accessible for you to listen to, but I do have it all available for download. But anyway, so my point is when I decide to do something, I put a lot of effort towards it. For those of you who have seen my rap in person, you've seen all the detail that I put into it. And I did that. So I did that in Photoshop. I have no idea how to use Photoshop that well. The the most experience I think I've had with Photoshop up before, up until the point that I did my rap, was making album covers for myself, essentially. But anyway, I give it 150%. And so when I did my music, what I would do is I'd go online. I'd spend hours looking for good music. And I could tell within the first few seconds if I liked a song enough to pull it into whatever the project was I was trying to do. Because I had three genres. I had the hip hop. Had um, like super chill in a sense, almost like coffee shop music, and then I had you know kind of a middle trancey, catchy, driving type music. And so depending on what project, which one of those three main projects I was looking for, is what I would you know kind of seek on some of these online sites. And I paid for all my songs, and I paid for them not because I am hardcore about giving the people money who make the music, but because I want quality. So if you want quality. Sometimes you just have to pay for it. And what happens is when you buy music in a wave format or all at 320 or whatever bit rate, you have to make sure it's all the same bit rate so it comes across with the same volume in your ear. Because if you mix them, it doesn't sound right. No matter how good your actual song selection is and your transitions are, if the bit rates are off, then the levels of the song are off. And that's just not good. So I'd end up spending, you know, $65, $70 on, you know, 25, 30 tracks and after you know five or six months, I'd whittle all that down to like five to probably fourteen songs. So I'd have like fourteen songs on this album, and then I would try to perfect it the best I can and release it on SoundCloud and or release it to my NSX forums. And I had a pretty loyal following. You know, I was never famous, never got big, but it's really good music. I listen to it myself. So anyway, with this podcast, it's the same deal in a sense where. You know, the content is whatever you make of it. Some people are going to love it. Some people hate it because, again, it's not all cars. This is car culture. This is me as a person talking about my life. And I try to sprinkle in a little bit of automotive news, have a car, so I feel like I can talk about it. But, you know, the auto quality itself is a big deal for me, which means in order for you to have good quality, you have to have better hardware. So now I have a pretty decent microphone. I have an adjustable uh, I think it's called a boom arm. It's got one, two, three points of articulation, but it's the kind you clamp on your desk because I do this recording on the road 90% of the time because I really feel weird talking in front of people, which is like if I were to record this at home, you know, I could see my wife sitting in the corner of the room just staring at me or my dog Izzy staring at me or somebody staring at me while I'm trying to record and it doesn't, I, I don't know, I just can't do it in front of people sometimes. I don't know. Like right now I'm talking to myself and it's super fucking weird. But anyway, this, uh, this boom arm doesn't fit on this desk at this specific hotel. So what I've had to do is I've had to take one of the chairs and I've laid the chairs on the ground and I'm using one of the cross member supports of the chair. And that is what this boom arm is attached to super janky, but effective. But yeah, so that's what I'm obsessing about. I really want this to be a, quality audio podcast and the only way to do that is to get better equipment and so you know uh, that's why we have our sponsors sponsors that put for sponsorship money to get their shout outs but they're really putting it forward to support the podcast and with that kind of offsets the heavy costs associated with better equipment 
that's just life. I have a field recorder now. Once I get another microphone, I'm going to able to be able to go to places and sit down with people side by side and have a conversation with them with microphones because face-to-face conversation is the best way. Right now, this podcast is primarily over the phone, um, but you know it is what it is, and it's only going to get better. That's what it is. Let's do a project update. This segment, by the way, is not yet sponsored, so looking for a sponsor for the project segment. So every time for my my NSX, you know, the last time you guys heard me talk about it, it's you know I dropped it off at Science of Speed, and they were doing a bunch of work to the car, got a lot of maintenance done, spent a lot of money. Car's not quite where I want it. I thought it would be, but it's been having some issues lately. It has nothing to do with Science of Speed. It's just Turbo, aftermarket issues. It's just one of those things. They do some fine-tuning with it, but it runs a lot better. But anyway, I thought I was done for a while. Didn't have any shows that I was committed to for the rest of the year. And so I went off and registered for Import Faceoff, which was last weekend. And had a lot of fun. Went to Import Faceoff in Chandler. So Import Faceoff travels around the United States. And they do two shows in Arizona, typically. One in Tucson and one in Phoenix. I think they do two a year. Uh, I don't know. It's the first time I've been at Import Faceoff in four and a half years. I go to the car shows to compete, but I also go to the car shows to hang out with other car people, other car buddies, people that I've built friendships with over the last X amount of years. And so because of that, I've had a lot of fun. Took home Best Acura. Uh, There was actually some competition there this year. And that's always been kind of the bane of my existence is other Acuras. And I never seem to have to worry about NSXs. Unless you go to SoCal, I'm never going to win in California because over there you have Lena Casino and you have Michael Mao, and they're not getting in the show unless they win. And their cars are badass, so they're always going to win. So when I go to those shows, I just want some recognition, and I usually get it, which is super cool. When people tell me it's the coolest freaking build they've ever seen or they tell me, oh, that reminds me when I was a little kid. You know, me and my brother used to watch that, or my dad always talks about that. To me, that's a win um, because my car is not for everybody. But now I'm also registered for uh, Elite Tuner in December. So if you guys want to come out and see the VF1S NSX at Peoria Sports Complex in, well, Peoria, Arizona, that's December 7th from 6 to 10 p.m. And I'm also registered for what used to be called Future Classics Car Show, which is in January. That's brought to you by ClassicCars.com. I have a lot of stuff to get ready for. Future Classics changed the name. I don't know the name right off the top of my head right now, but I'm doing some work with NC Auto USA on some carbon and, you know, who knows, maybe uh, Pride Exhaust, one of my other main sponsors and friendships will have something cool by then. And I'm going to be working a lot where I, I, I want to work with carbon creator Rob, which he'll be a guest on a future podcast. He's been in the industry for years, worked on all sorts of SEMA builds, all sorts of famous cars you've seen on TV. And to get an opportunity to work with a guy like that on a car like mine would be super awesome uh, and super nice guy. So I'm looking forward to doing some work with him. And that's my project update for now. All right, it is Jay's Rental Car of the Week. Currently do not have a sponsor for Jay's Rental Car of the Week, but this is a segment where I talk about one of the rental cars that I've had since I travel pretty much every week for work. This week, my rental car is a 2019 Volkswagen Tiguan. After doing some research, I found out that I have the SE4 Motion trim. So the SE4 Motion trim is kind of mid-grade, well, 
second to their most expensive one, 184 horsepower, uh, $28,000. The one I have is black, has some super weird generic tires. Uh, I forgot what they're called, but I looked at them when I got out of the car today at work and started snickering like, what the fuck is that? The vehicle drives okay. It's pretty comfy. I would compare it a lot to maybe the new Jeep Cherokees or even like a Jeep Compass. Which one would I rather have, the Jeep Compass or the Tiguan? Again, we're talking for a rental vehicle because I wouldn't buy either. I would take the Tiguan. They both have Apple CarPlay, which I like. The CarPlay is a little janky on both. And I'll tell you why I say that. At least with the Volkswagen, I picked it up on Sunday night and I plugged my phone in and nothing came up other than, you know, USB audio. So I struggled through the drive to the hotel. I know, first world problems. Monday morning, I go to get in the car and go to work and plug in my phone and boom, what do you know? Apple CarPlay. With that being said, they're both kind of even in that avenue. Driving around, it's kind of darty. It feels sporty, but it's not. Um, but the overall comfort level, the trim, the leather interior, it's just it just feels like a better made vehicle than what I would compare it to again, which is a like a Cherokee Compass. I think it's what they're called, the Compass. The thing that's like the same size as a Jeep Cherokee. But if you're gonna rent a Jeep, rent a Grand Cherokee. You know, every once in a while there's like a like the Sahara edition Wrangler. I had one of those once. It's pretty nice. As far as the Tiguan, though, I've been looking up reviews on it and it you know, rates eight out of 10, according to, you know, US News and um, KBB has it a 4.3, I would assume out of five, not out of a 10. And overall, people really like it. Um, if you get an option to pick it up at a rental lot, you know, and if you like the smaller compact SUVs, not a bad vehicle. It's got the auto turn off feature, like most vehicles do. And like I've said before, first thing you should do every time you start the vehicle is find that fucking A that looks like an Avengers icon and hit that button and disengage it. For the Tiguan, it's the one that I have at least is really clunky. So you get in the car and you come to a stop sign or a stoplight. And instead of it just shutting off, it does like this weird little shimmer. So either it wants to get down or it's a clunky auto shut off system. But again, that's the 2019 Volkswagen Tiguan. The one I had is all black. Would I rent it again? I would rent it again. Would I buy it as a personal vehicle? I would not buy it as a personal vehicle. But hey, to each his own. It'd be nice with some bigger wheels and some you know tires that I can recognize. But of course, you sacrifice ride quality with bigger wheels and tires. But who gives a fuck about that? Today's Build Corner is sponsored to you by DressUpBolts.com. Uncompromising quality and pursuit has made Dress Up Bolts the leader in titanium hardware kits and accessories, and now it is also available in red. Their comprehensive kits take the guesswork out of trying to figure out what you need. Go to DressUpBolts.com or follow them at DressUpBolts.com on Instagram. Get yourself some bling for your engine bay. They have front and rear kits. Again, that is DressUpBolts.com. Johnny Langs, what are you working on today? Hey, Jay, thanks for having me. Um, I got a uh, 2000 NSX that I'm kind of taking around with a little bit. I bought it with a quarter million miles on it, and it was completely totaled. Every single panel on the car was damaged when I got it. So over the course of two years, kind of brought it back up to life, and the uh, clutch is on its way out. So uh, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be tearing down in the clutch or taking off the transmission, doing the clutch, and then driving it down to Florida for an escapade uh, start of December. So for, for a lot of us, we know you. We know you're very nomadic, and you're always picking up NSXs and building them and flipping them. And then you have, like, your core one or two that you, you keep working with. So you're going to do a clutch. How many times have you done a clutch before, and 
if I want to do a clutch, what are some of the things that I'm going to need to know before I even get started? Uh, done a clutch a couple times before. I guess one random bit of advice is I would highly recommend a uh, transmission jack, especially if you don't have a, like a two-post or a four-post lift. That makes life a lot easier. And this um, is going to be a really dumb question, but are those are those specific to the type of like the engine placement of a vehicle? No, so I'm going to get a transmission jack for a mid-engine. Yeah, from Harbor Freight, you know, it's like, it's just basically like a real small jack operates off a ratchet and you just ratchet it up and down. And uh, I think they're like $80 or something like that, but it'll really alleviate a lot of bench pressing of a transmission. With our car specifically, you have to remove the subframe and, and you don't have to take too much off, do you? No, not not entirely. You know, you got the, there's a U-brace underneath the car. Take that out, you know, take out the axles, obviously. And then, you know, kind of like just standard little transmission stuff. I mean, if you've worked on a Honda in the past, it's pretty much about the same. If you worked on another car in the past, it's pretty much about the same. But one thing I, you know, I'm pretty mindful of, especially with the NSX is uh, just torque specs on everything, you know. Make sure you're just not really uh, going overboard, over-torquing stuff, because that's how you mess stuff up majorly. So where do you get this clutch? So what I'm actually going to do this time is uh, on the NA2s, they use the uh, the single disc as opposed to the twin disc. Okay. Uh, you can get you can buy the single disc, the actual disc for fairly cheap. I think maybe about three fifty or so for the disc. Another four hundred and change for the pressure plate. What becomes tricky is the flywheel. On the NA2s, they use the dual-mass flywheel, and that will run you like $2,000 for the um, So per John Vassos, is av- as his advice is, as long as the flywheel is not hot-spotted, just kind of touch it up with a, a DA sander and then just reuse the old flywheel, which is what I kind of plan to do. I don't know what the condition of mine is going to be like, so it's obviously going to be a little bit of figuring out when I get in there. Fingers crossed that you don't have to flip a couple grand on a new flywheel. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of a dumb design, but ultimately, um, you know, worst case scenario, thankfully with me having a f- have had a few of these cars, I've got some other flywheels laying around as well that are good, um, but I'm just going to try and reuse the one that's in there. What's going on right now is I'm getting a whole bunch of binding in the clutch pedal. And uh, per a couple people's uh, diagnosis, along with myself, is we think that when it was, because uh, this had a new clutch in it about, I don't know, maybe forty or 50,000 miles ago. And what the problem is, is I don't think the actual input shaft was greased properly. And so the input shaft is actually binding. So I pull it all apart, see what it looks like, and uh, kind of throw it back together. I'm not trying to spend a whole bunch of time or money on this car, but we'll see what happens. Very good. So what we'd like to do maybe is we can check back in with you in a few weeks and kind of see where you're at or just reach out and let me know and we can kind of um, go from there. Are you wrenching up a little bit? Yeah, most definitely. Sound good. Well, I thank you for spending time on this Builder's Corner, which is brought to you by Dress of Bolts, Titanium Bolts. Thanks for having me. Hope to talk to you soon. Since this is the special SEMA episode, I figure I would recap my time at SEMA in 2017. Hopefully, well, I have a phone call out. I have a message out to one of my friends who is covering SEMA this year as a member of the media. He was my electronics advisor and uh, along with a couple other guys, um, Alan, Yoshi stopped by. Several people stopped by to help. 
we were working all night, I remember, and we were supposed to wrap it up around 11 o'clock. I was supposed to get some rest and leave around four or five in the morning so that I can get to my rolling time at 1030. Why they gave me a rolling time at 1030 when I live several hundred miles away is beyond me. But we ended up working all night and we didn't even wrap up till about eight in the morning. So my preparation for SEMA was a little interesting. As I had said before on a previous podcast, you have to hustle really hard to find a vendor that is showing that will sponsor your car and bring you in as one of their vehicles. Once that happens, other people start giving you stuff. But, you know, you start working on your craft. I had some 3D printed parts uh, from IC 3D printers. They didn't get there until a few days before they needed to. That was, my, that was my first time designing anything in a 3D program to be printed. I designed the entire unit at once. Smart thing to do is to design each component. That way they print each piece. You can polish off each piece and then assemble it. So I had like these big bricks of these fighter jet panels that I designed. And so Danny, he spent a lot of time sanding those things down because they were really rough. So the idea was to sand them down, put some shit over them, sand them down again paint them, put them in the car and have them ready. He also spent half the night painting the, what is the targeting thing called? The crosshairs to emulate the F-14. And so we had the little um, little radar display up and he painted it with this fluorescent paint that glows underneath the black light. And that took multiple hours. I don't have that kind of patience. He did a fantastic job. So he was kind of pulling a double duty all night. So we, we wrap up the project. It's like eight something in the morning. I thank him for his time. He goes home. Alan goes home. I go upstairs, wash my face, change my shirt. I ran upstairs, didn't even get a chance to take a shower. Get in the NSX and start driving. Got awful decision. I was doing fine until I got out of the Phoenix area. Then I started, I just, I could, no matter what, you know. So when you're driving and you're real tired, you start seeing shit. You start having conversations with people that aren't even there. You're kind of in this middle zone of, you're asleep and you're dreaming, but you're you're also awake. The only other time I ever experienced it was when I first bought my car in Minnesota. I took a red-eye flight because at the time I was working in the Pacific Northwest. I took a red-eye flight from Seattle to Minnesota. Landed in Minnesota, went to my cousin's house, took a shower. Hadn't seen her in years. Louise, she's awesome. Good artist. Went to go pick up the NSX. Drove from there to Milwaukee. So I believe that was six hours. I don't remember now. Whatever, from the Twin Cities to Milwaukee. I was on fumes. As I got close to Milwaukee, I decided to pull over to McDonald's because I was seeing shit. I was talking to coworkers who obviously weren't in the car with me. Scary shit. Fast forward, years later, driving to SEMA. And I'm calling and texting a few of my buddies. So Charles Sithro and my friend Nick Keck at Just the Tip on Instagram. Shout out. And my friend Nikki Brown and Higher Solomon of Higher Quality Detail, they were way ahead of me. And at this point, I just wanted to catch up. So they kept checking in with me to make sure I was okay. And I was hauling ass, yet kind of falling asleep along the way. Like I said, that was a very dangerous decision. Shouldn't have done it. I survived. But once we rendezvoused, at that point, it's like an extra kick. Now you're with people you know. Your brain is energized. And... I rode with them all the way to SEMA. Go to check in. I had blown my time by hours. Ended up not being a problem. In fact, it ended up kind of being a blessing because what had happened was once I got in the line and got checked in, they were like, oh, you're in Battle of the Builders. 
we've been looking for you. Glad you're here. And what they do is they have all these cars lined up. Most of, most of these cars are all feature cars. That means you're getting parked anywhere. And if you're the, if this is your first time at SEMA, you're, you're, you're outside unless your sponsor paid buku bucks to get you inside. So what happened was I followed this big, long chain of cars. They run out of places to park and there's three cars. There's myself, a guy in a pretty badass older car, black. I don't know what kind of car it was, like an old Chevy or something or an old Ford. We're talking like 50s car, 50s, 60s, and another vehicle. And the thing is, it was obvious that this guy that was in the black vehicle, the badass vehicle, knew the organizers because he was talking to the guys driving around on the golf cart. And the guy kind of looked at him. He looked at us. He goes, okay, just sit here for a while. A few minutes later, he pulls up and says, okay, you guys follow me. So we start following him, and it's just us three. So we end up driving inside of SEMA, going through the North Hall, had it all on camera, and we got to park inside. And I think a lot of people were asking me, because some of my friends, Nick and and Aaron and Nikki, they got some fucking shitty-ass parking, like in the far back, outside of the SEMA map, out by a dumpster. And I was parked inside my first ever time at SEMA in the North Hall. And I swear they thought I had done something. I'd, I'd, I had a friend. I had a hookup. I was just in the right place at the right time around the right people. So they parked the three of us cars in there. I remember cleaning my car off. I was spent. I had to work that week. I was checking a lot of stuff, putting my decals on because I had a shit ton of decals. And they got later. They started clearing people out. They don't kick you out. But man, I lost my sunglasses that day. I was just spent. Grabbed my backpack, took an Uber to the airport, and went home. And there I was, and I flew back to SEMA a few days later. I think I got there on a Thursday. So at SEMA, it was crazy, my time at SEMA, because I was already a day or two late. And then, you know, so you have a responsibility to the companies, the people who have sponsored you. You want to meet your sponsors. You want to meet the representatives, say hi to them, maybe go out and have a drink. You know, there's SEMA parties everywhere. I never went to one. I didn't get invited, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of politics going on at SEMA, and you don't want to, you don't really want to believe it until you're in it and you feel it, and it fucking blows. But there's a lot of money in hand. There's a lot of handshakes going on. There's a lot of people who are good friends with other people outside of SEMA, so they have to make sure they take care of each other and have each other's backs. And then your crew shows up, and you want to hang out with your crew, but you can't hang out with your crew because your other crew from other, you know, I know a lot of people all over the place. So, you know, if I have my friend, my buddy Jake in Wisconsin is at SEMA. Hey, Jay, where you at? Well, I'm in the North Hall. Okay, well, I'm in the South Hall. I run over there to meet up with Jake, say what's up to Petey. And my other buddy's like, hey, Jay, where you at? Or one of the sponsors is like, hey, we're over by your car. We want to do an interview with you. Shout out to Jubal back when you were with Clarion. And so you, you leave your buddy and you haul ass back over to the car do a five, 10 minute interview, the rest of your buddies show up and, you know, you spend most time by yourself when you're in the show, then being able to walk around and enjoy things. A day and a half is not enough time to walk around and enjoy SEMA. It just isn't. Then on the Friday, which is the last day I spent all day running around because Friday morning I show up and I have a flat tire. And so they have this thing called no SEMA ignited which is open to the public. So Friday's open to the public. Seam Ignited is like this really this parade of cars that kind of goes. People line both sides of the road. And then you go and park in this parking lot and everyone comes out and sees the car. It's really cool. If you ever get a chance to have your vehicle in SEMA, I strongly urge you 
to just suck it up and do seem ignited because that's part of the experience. You know, um, I had some friends that by that point they were just tired of dealing with everything and they were just ready to go back to the hotel and do whatever. Not me. Who knows if I'll ever get back to SEMA. So I spent all day trying to put air in my tire because I had a flat tire. Wasn't sure if someone walked by. It was really weird because I had these tire pressure monitoring system, but I wasn't sure if somebody decided to take it off and look at it and put it on and didn't put it on correctly at some point in the middle of the night. I lost like 20 pounds of pressure in the tire. And so I'm talking to my buddy Petey. Hey, Petey, you know anybody that's got any air? Because nobody has some air. He hooked me up with the Pirelli guys. So I'm running all the way over to the Pirelli trailer, knocking on their trailer, starting name dropping, and they hand me this air tank. Feels like nothing because, well, it's an air tank and it's preloaded. So I'm going through the crowd, getting over to my car, filling it up with air. Still don't know if I actually have a flat tire or not, or if I have a neat or something, if it's a leak, concerned about the leak. Because then you start thinking, shit, I drove here. I'm not getting trailered home. They're steam ignited. This this entire event's going to be over in a couple hours. I need to, man, I need to figure some shit out because if I have a flat tire, I'm fucked. I can't do steam ignited. It'd be difficult getting home. It's not like I have a Ford F-150 on some regular tires. I have a low profile tires, 18s, 19s, finding the match. You know, my tire sponsor wasn't there. Michelin doesn't do SEMA. But anyway, so I have I fill, it, fill it up with air and I'm fighting the crowds. I spent all day trying to figure that shit out. You know, my wife shows up. She wants to show her support. I can't really hang out with her. Anyway, end up doing Seam Ignited, do the parade. It was a great time. Um, I have a buddy, Jeremy, who's in SEMA this year with his um, Mustang from Arizona. And I told him a few weeks ago when I saw him, I said, hey, you're going to SEMA? He said, yes. I said, listen to me. People that have gone to SEMA will tell you it's a pain in the ass. Worst thing that's ever. I said, fuck them. Don't listen to them. Go. Enjoy it. Uh, make sure you bring your walking shoes. It's an opportunity uh, for many people of a lifetime. Not a lot of people get to go all the time unless you're just balls deep in the industry. And it's a bucket list item for a lot of people. And so fully enjoy it. If you're in a competition, you don't win, fuck it. You know, for me, I felt that, I don't know, it's really weird because I, I walked away from SEMA a little disappointed because I didn't get any sort of press or coverage by any of the major import magazines or import media. And that's when I started to feel that it was really political and it sucked. But there were people who saw my car and appreciated the hell out of it and taught my ear off. And, you know, for those people, it was worth it. There's one guy he would sit next to my car. His wife was working in, as a vendor, not automotive related, but something like cleaning supplies or whatever. And he would just come over there and sit down against the wall and stare at my car all day, like all week. He'd come stare at the car. So, you know, she came and talked to me and I, you know, introduced us and we, and we chatted and, you know, she gave me her business card and I am getting, I ended up getting a bunch of boxes of rubber gloves. So I use those exclusively for a year and a half because I had so many boxes, you know, when I clean my car, who wants to get your hand dirty? Also use them to, you know, run in the kitchen and other, other things. But, you know, so that's one of the cool positives that happened with SEMA. No negatives, just some levels of disappointment, but you learn to you know, table those expectations and understand that, you know, it's, it's, it's an, it's a vendor show, but it's a car show too. It's both of those things. But, you know, so I was in battles of battle of the builders. There's no fucking chance in hell. I'd be mad if I won anything because I knew looking at the competition, I have a sense of perspective and I know how much work people put into their cars, which is why I don't get too mad when I don't win at car shows too. 
as long as the people who kick my ass, I feel like they deserve it. And in most cases they do, but sometimes it feels a little inside jobish, and that's when it's no good for anybody. But you know, that was my SEMA experience. Had a lot of fun with it though. And so everything that I'm seeing this year for SEMA 2019, like I said, you know, I mean, there's a lot of Supras, super, 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 supers everywhere. And that's a cool looking car. I don't care what anybody says. Now, you're an idiot if you thought that the FT1 was going to be the Supra. Looking the way it looks, especially at the price that they were talking about, no fucking way. That is no way. That would have been even crazier than the C8 Corvette and the way it looks, basically breaking the internet at the price that they're offering it. Imagine the FT1. So you have to forget about the FT1 and just look at the Supra. The Supra, even though it has fake vents like most cars and fake this and fake that, it's a good looking car. And it's exciting to see the body kits and wheel wheel tire packages and wraps and all sorts of things that they're doing with the Toyota Supras. And speaking of wraps, by the way, two years ago, I thought my wrap was pretty good. Designed it myself. Um, but the wrap material and the creativity level seems to have excelled overall. I'm not the most creative person. I'm not the most crafty person. I'm not the most artistic person. But it's kind of challenged me to think about doing it again, next level it, because I'll break some news to you. I actually was going to go to SEMA this year, and I decided not to do it because I still owe money from last time. Misconception, going to SEMA, everyone gives you shit. You're still coming out of a pocket a lot. SEMA is expensive, and there's very few people who are so accomplished that the amount of money that they have to pay out of their pocket is a bare minimum. For most of us, you're paying a lot of money out of your pocket. Unless you're at the level of like a BC Moto where he's so accomplished or Johnny Grunwald. So Johnny Grunwald is, out, you know, for Mazda, he has a badass RX-7, he has an RX-8, he has everything. And, you know, he's out at SEMA with a paid partnership I don't know how much money he came out of pocket, but I do know, or I, I heard at one point in time that he was basically given a car to play with. That's next level shit. But for most people, even if you get a deep discount, you're still coming out of money. You know, like some of the big wheel manufacturers, they might tow your car there, but chances are you have to figure out how to get your car there yourself. And if you are going for the big boys, you have zero shot because they're all about networking and connections and who you know. That's why you'll go into the middle of the North Hall and you'll see a pedestrian build and what i mean by pedestrian is it might be a good build but compared to half the other shit at sema it's very pedestrian but it'll be front and center stage it'll get all the media attention you know you'll get somebody like mothers and mcguires it'll be all over the car you'll have super street all over the car and it's a pedestrian build compared to the others and that's because it was a car that was handpicked by somebody who knows somebody who's somebody in the industry and or their modification shop. The car itself isn't that badass, but it's all about connections. And you see that firsthand when you're at SEMA. And it feels kind of weird. Not having sour grapes, nothing to do with my car. But I remember walking around SEMA and seeing some badass cars tucked away in some weird spots. Like the right-hand drive Rocket Bunny NSX that they had tucked down the hall, down the middle of a corridor, down a hall in a little room. I think it's the airlift room, actually. But that thing was sick. It absolutely should have been out front and center. But unless you ventured off to the far regions of 
the exhibit halls, you never would have seen it. One of the really cool things about SEMA, other than showing your vehicle, is your opportunity to network and say hi to other people or meet people. So I got to say hi to a lot of the NSX guys that I know online that I've never met in person. Um, Of course, obviously the vendors, uh, you get to network with some people that you know outside of, or just, just on social media, you know, you'll see, you know, you might see famous people walking around and they're approachable. They don't have like a halo of security around them. You might see Jay Leno. Hey, what's up, Jay? And he will take a picture with you. Anybody will take a picture with you, but it's kind of cool to just kind of go outside and, and see. I mean, it's a shit show. It's a circus at times. It can be a major headache for people at times. Absolutely. But you get out of it what you put into it. And so, you know, the silver lining is you're there. A lot of people want to be there. Um, it is a trade show. So you have to have a pass, uh, which means you have to be related to the industry somehow. So you can't just walk off the street on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Well, it's not Monday. On Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday and go into SEMA, you're going to have to know somebody who's going to have to hook you up with some sort of fake credentials. Or you're going to have to wait till Friday, which is open to the public, and you can go and pay for admission. And you can go and see everything that people have seen all week anyway, unless they've moved the car. And then, of course, they have, like I said earlier, SEMA Ignited, which is for the public. So it's a really cool event. You know, and after SEMA, you know, you do the rollout, stay at the hotel, say what's up to your boys. So SEMA, Friday night after... Well, we'll, let's say this. So SEMA at, during SEMA Ignited, 90% of the vehicles are gone. They're ghosts. They're packing up. They're going back to where they're from because you got people coming from all over the world. And by Saturday, there's nobody left in town. There's a few local cars from around the, the region. They're hanging out with their boys, their friends, you know, maybe their boyfriends, girlfriends flew in, want to hang out. But the scene is completely gone by Saturday midday, Saturday night. So it's all about you know, what's left. And then, you know, Sunday morning early, usually everybody goes home that drove there that is within, you know, four four or five hour drive, you know, and so that's SEMA. Let's get to some automotive news. And the reason why I'm getting to the automotive news is just because let's talk about the Toyota Supra. So I told you guys, so I told you so. I told you that when the Supra came out, why people, while people hated it, some people like it, and all you have to do is sit around and wait for this thing to be officially released. People are going to start modifying the fuck out of it, give it wide bodies, give it wheels, give it arrow, make it look sick as fuck, which is exactly what happened to the MK4 because that wasn't a pretty car either. Some revisionist history. We look back and look at the MK4 and say, wow, man, that's a beautiful car. It's beautiful now. It wasn't beautiful then. I remember when it first came out. I'm old enough to remember that at least. Big fat car compared to the mk3 i don't care what you say and it drove like a fucking boat i borrowed my friends jimmy fat jimmy that's what we used to call him in uh in texas anyway so borrowed fat jimmy supra he had a silver one and i remember getting on the highway and you step on the gas you wait you wait you wait and then the turbo lag turbo kicks in car dips back like you're in a boat was it a fun car to drive definitely wasn't a driver's vehicle and once people started modifying it, like Powerhouse did with the Powerhouse Supras, and started making them fucking balls out of the wall fast, then people started jumping on the bandwagon. And from what I understand, at SEMA, there's a shitload of Supras. No surprise. We knew it was going to happen because the C8 is not yet. Otherwise, it'd be a shitload of C8s too. But the Supra is proving to you right now that it's still the import tuner's vehicle of choice 
that's not a BRZ or FRS, something a little bit better. Granted, it is a BMW, but let's face it, no one seems to give a fuck. And so now, so they run 12, mid 12s out of the box. So you start seeing them all over the internet running, you know, 10s, 11s. That's just with light modification. They're saying that it's easily capable to modify these things up to over a thousand horsepower with very minimum bottom end work. And I know a Corvette guy says, well, we've been running mid 11 since the C6 E06. And they're right. But still, mid 11s out the box. I'm sorry, mid 12s out the box. And 11s in high 10s with minimal modifications is basically restoring the Toyota Supra, the 2020 Toyota Supra to prominence in the import tuner scene. A lot of my fellow NSX guys are going apeshit crazy over it. And like I said earlier, from what I'm seeing online, SEMA 2019 is absolutely crawling with Toyota Supras. It's not without its issues. They had a backup camera recall. They have a seatbelt guide loop recall. Let's face it, new vehicles always have recalls. So if you can't see the person you're backing over or, you know, well, you want to make sure that your seatbelt is buckled, of course. But props to Toyota for weathering the storm. Props to BMW for building the Toyota Supra. And it just continues to be, you know, a green light from here. So I'm excited to see what kind of cool things that people are going to do with their Supras. You know, John Sibyl started kicking out Supra designs. You saw Samuel do kicking out Supra stuff. And that's all it takes. You get the right influencers behind these things, and the sky's the limit. So props off again to Toyota and BMW, and I fucking told you so. I had an opportunity to catch up with my good friend, Danny Niku, who was my audio technical director during my SEMA build, and he's actually out at SEMA right now. Danny, what's up? Hello, hello. I am uh, sitting in the hotel room getting ready to edit some photos from today's uh, walk around. So I know it's just the first day. You've probably seen some cool shit. I don't know if you were able to, well, I'm going to go ahead and say you weren't able to see everything. Oh, definitely not. There's way too much stuff to be able to see everything on the first day. So who are you out there with right now? You're doing some freelance photography work and some column work? I am doing some freelance work for our good friend, Rebecca Wynn and uh, ClassicCars.com. Awesome. I saw some of her posts. Oh, yeah. No, she, she does really good work. So at some point in this podcast, I gone through and talked about kind of the experience that I had with SEMA and some of our crunch the night before and how it was absolute hell. Oh, yeah. That was uh, that was something else. That was a nightmare. <laughs> kind of the uh, kind of the definition of a SEMA crunch. I had mentioned that I had you doing double duty. You were you were painting the little uh, I don't even know what you call it, the little targeting your little heads-up display. That, that, thank you. Yes, the little crosshairs on the heads-up display. <laughs> this is what you have me for. <laughs> yeah, and, and sanding very slowly. In... Well, we made Alan do all the sanding because that was just kind of a pain in the ass. So. I think you started with it, and Alan just started. He had like the thousand-yard stare as he was sanding. Oh, yeah. By about 2. He was hating life. By about 4 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you seen out there today? So I got to go check out some of the... Um, the newer stuff. I mean, it's pretty much just SEMA featuring the Supra. Are you in love with the Supra yet? No. Have you seen some Supras though that you're kind of like, eh, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's like one or two, but I like nothing has me sold on it. I think it's a good looking car. Uh, on this, on this pod and another recording session, I basically told everybody, I told you so. I mean, it's still a BMW, but 
throw a little lipstick on it and people fall in love with it. I mean, the the one really cool one that I, I really want to see is the Gretty uh, Supra that's on display. I didn't get a chance to make it over there today, but it looks like a, a pretty mean build. I don't know which one that is. Um, it is a full, fully built uh, drift car. What I think it's it's in the the six hundred horsepower range. So what all have you seen today, other than that? So we're, like, where have you were in the North Hall, South Hall, Central? Um, I was all over the place. So I hit all of those halls. I uh, went and hit Toyota Tread Pass because that is always a good time, and that had some of the cooler builds um, on the show. Also, see anybody famous? Oh, you know what? Vanilla Ice was uh, was out getting. Drift ride-alongs from uh, Von Gittin Jr. Did you say Vanilla Ice? Yes, I did. Have you seen anybody semi-relevant, not Vanilla Ice? I, I guess TJ Hunt was unveiling his his black Subaru, but I think he's the only social media person that people actually talk about that I know of. Did you see the Did you see the H, HKS one? I did. That one was really clean. So we had that in Phoenix. I saw that Hire actually had it at HQD. Oh, wow. There, there's a lot of, of cool stuff to be seen at SEMA, especially if you're and well, I mean, obviously you're going to be in the industry if you're there. But a lot of the new aftermarket um, pieces that are available this year, uh, you're kind of seeing the direction that technology is going and uh, how much of a jump it's made in the last couple of years. Like some of the new turbos that they're releasing um, and a lot of the, the fuel management stuff that is now available is, is a lot more advanced than what it has been the last year or so. So it's not just AEM and Haltech anymore? No, you have um Pro EFI is, is really coming up and as well as Link. Those are those are both really, really viable um your management um units now. Is there a display out there for those gravity I think it's called gravity free car batteries? Have you seen those? I haven't seen those yet. So a buddy of mine in Chicago has one in his NSX and they're, I don't want to say they're like $800 batteries for your car. I don't remember the technology behind it, but apparently it's really a badass. And I guess for that price, it better be. And I'm kind of curious on those. And I also saw some sort of new starter technology. I don't know if I saw it at SEMO, but I did see it at Monterey. So I would assume those like, which hall is that? That'd be like north of the North Hall, right? Where they have all those little weird things or in, or down in the middle of the like hidden in the hallways. I think it might be. So are you there for the all hall. the way through Friday? Did yeah. the whole SEMA Ignited thing? And when are you leaving? Did you guys drive out there? Or? I, I drove out here, yeah. And then I get to drive to LA right after. Oh, good for you. Well, if you go happen to go through Palm Springs on your way home, you fucking son of a bitch. And if it <laughs> happens to be during the week, make sure you let me know. Well, it'll probably be Monday, and I'll, I will definitely call you ahead of time. I'll definitely be here Monday. Cool. Well, thanks for taking the time. Of course. I'll talk to you later. Hopefully, I'll see you next week. Yeah, I should be back in town um, probably Monday night. This is the Instagram profile highlight of the week. In this section, myself, my co-host, we find somebody on Instagram that we really want to highlight. And this week, the Instagram profile highlight of the week is sponsored you by From the Bumper. That's at From the Bumper, which is automotive photography. They take pictures and tell stories from the perspective of the bumper of a car. It's a very unbiased view of automotive culture. It's from the bumper. They make these really cool little books. Lucas is the man behind from the bumper. Check into them. Again, that's from the bumper. And this week, my profile how of the week is Hansel of Lean Customs. That's L-E-E-N-C-U-S-T-O-M-S at leancustoms.com at leancustoms on Instagram. This guy is making moves. He's done a lot of really cool things. He is at SEMA this week in the Toyo Tires booth. 
promoting his awesome little pins. All right, we are joined by Hansel, the man behind Lean Customs, those badass little pins. He is out at SEMA right now, live. How the hell's your week been so far? Pretty hectic? Oh, yeah, man. It's been hectic. Um, we had the opportunity to work with Toyo Tires on creating uh, some pins for their future cars in the Tread Pass. And holy shit, man, it's just insane in here. And then you were next to John Siebel doing autographs yesterday, right? Yeah, so that was pretty neat. Um, he actually invited me out because there were he was doing a signing, so I kind of crashed it, but <laughs> he invited me out there to um, sign with him because they were going to also be doing the pin release for the Maguire's tow rig that I actually designed for the pin, but he had created the actual render and final concept as well, and he was giving out a poster with it. You understand how badass that is? Yeah. Oh, man, you have no idea. Like, I, you know, I'm thinking the whole time, like fuck last year i'm over here getting an autograph from him because you know i admire his work and then this year i'm right next with him fucking signing shit that's fucking insane so you've done so many amazing things with your pens and i worked with you it feels like a long time ago but i guess it was just what last year man yeah yeah i mean you're everywhere now (laughs) yeah you know that's actually uh interesting that you say that because it's definitely been growing and it doesn't seem like it's gonna stop anytime soon and i was just kind of fortunate enough to create something for the auto community where you know it can reflect on their passion have you had an opportunity to walk around you've been kind of stuck in one spot no so what what i actually took about this show was kind of meeting clients that i've worked with that i've only deal with through like email or phone or something like that right so um being able to just kind of meet them face to face and introduce myself that's kind of what i've been doing at the show for the last two days kw to mcguire's to Universal Air, you know, obviously, just it's always good to kind of make that introduction, you know. Did you did you find yourself being pulled from one direction to the other? Because when I was there a couple of years ago, to me that was it was super cool but super hectic. It's like, hey man, I'm in the North Hall, I'm in the Central Hall, I'm in the South Hall, and you're just like running back and forth trying to. Meet yes, up. exactly. That's how it's been. And the thing is that I have people here that want to meet me, and you know, with because of the pins and and one thing that John Siwa says like, you got to stop being so secret about yourself, you know. And put yourself out there so people recognize who you are you know so when people find like oh that's the guy that does the pins then i get you know uh fans trying to like shake my hand and you know just kind of have a meet and greet kind of thing it's euphoric right i mean people are people asking yeah, you for man. autographs like out and about yeah, <laughs> yeah it's funny you know I'm, obviously i'm not used to that and um yeah so they'll have me sign their pin cards dude that's badass so i said this on my podcast earlier and i've talked to a few friends about it i'm thinking we maybe need to hook up again and do another pin soon yes man that's actually that's still one of my top 10 favorite designs that i've done um just because of how intricate it was and how fun it is you know um there's something about like doing stuff like that that i really enjoy when it comes down to it because it's just so unique yeah so let's make that happen uh so what are your plans for the rest of the week you have more booths to go to or are you just gonna enjoy yourself no. for the rest of today and tomorrow yeah exactly so kind of just wrapped up today right now i'm just hanging out at the toyo tread pass uh they unfortunately do have a cool little lounge area so just hanging out here yeah. um probably here till the show ends and i might call it a a 
a day. Like I won't be coming back tomorrow because tomorrow is just even more hectic. Like, yes, just so I might just even not even pop in. But if I do, it'll just be for a couple of hours and then head back to LA. I got some special projects that I gotta still work on and launch for the holiday season. Perfect. Well, I mean, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. I know you're extremely busy. I'll add it to the pod and let you know when the link's out there, and then we'll we'll connect offline because we got to do some some more work together. Yeah, perfect, man. Let's definitely do that. All right. Thank you, man. Later. All right. Bye. We want to thank Hansel of Lean Customs, the owner and operator of Lean Customs, for taking the time. Again, that's Lean Customs on Instagram, or you can go to his website and buy all his stuff. He is my Instagram profile highlight of this week. All right. That about wraps it up for this week's podcast. Special SEMA edition as I recount my old SEMA tales, and we get a little bit of SEMA coverage from our good friend Danny Nico, who's out there doing articles for ClassicCars.com. Special thanks to Johnny Lange for being able to take some time on during the Builder's Corner. Gotta thank our sponsors, TalkMobile.net, from TheBumper.com, and last but not least, DressUpBolt.com. You can follow all of them on Instagram. They all have websites as well. If you want, you can follow me on Instagram if you're not already at NA2NSX. Again, this is Jay Finning. You can email us at hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. In fact, I highly encourage it. If you have an Instagram profile highlight of the week that you would like to submit, or if you have any questions that you want answered, go ahead and shoot us an email or hit me up on the gram. If you enjoy this, please subscribe, like it, comment, give us a good review. Give me a good review. Give all of us a good review and help us grow this. Let's do this together. So this is Jay Finning. Hard Parking Podcast is out.